Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Battle of the Atom. This is, of course, the uh, X-Men podcast every Monday, where Isaac Jenkins and my co-host, Adam Reck, take three X-Men stories, and we we look at them, we examine them, we measure their value, and we place them on our list from best to worst of all of the X-Men stories. I believe, I believe we have all of them on there, at least by the end of this podcast. <laughs> by the end of the podcast as an entity, we will have every X-Men story ever on this list. And that's what we're trying to determine. What's the best? What's the worst? What's everything, everything in between? Adam, how are you doing today? I am good. And I am so glad that you said uh, by the end of the existence of the podcast, because I thought if we had to do every X-Men series uh, within the next uh, half an hour or so, we'd be in trouble. Um, But I think we just have three today, right? Yeah, we just have three. We have three interesting stories. Mm. And they, like pretty much every episode at this point, which thank you, Patreon guys, all come from Patreon. Thank you. They came from Patreon supporter Mojo's Work. And Mojo's Work asked for a story crafted around Into the Void, which is Uncanny X-Men 284 to 286. This is... Will Sportacio is on art, and he's the most consistent member of this team because the writing credits are just absolutely buck wild on this. <laughs> well, we've got plotting and we've got scripting and we've got shifts and scripters. And this is a time of great tumult uh, for the X-Men line. Yeah, because we've got John Byrne is doing some scripts on this. Will Sportacio is doing plots on this. Jim Lee is doing plots on this. And Scott Lobdell is doing scripts on this. All split between three issues. So that's four writers three issues of comics and boy howdy does it feel like it (laughs) it is a real mixed bag uh i think this uh little arc is probably most well known for introducing colossus's lost cosmonaut brother which was a callback to what is that a how deep is that cut that that goes back really far right it was like a one panel thing that is like a reference to x-men 99 maybe wow. Wow. like 98 99 it's when the all new all different team first goes into space which was yeah. pretty early in that run yeah um so the you know i guess the theme of today is weird alien planet stuff i think that's what i have in my notes and um, i think that's the vague vague theme we decided to craft yeah, this yeah, yeah yeah so uh, we recently talked about the the brood um but this has at least in the beginning a kind of a weird predator knockoff thing going on um right off the bat it seemed like wills wanted to draw some predators even though they're not predators yeah well um, and that's that's one of the interesting things about this era of comics because you know claremont's gone at this point claremont's been gone for a little while and mm-hmm. that happened because marvel editorial bob harris in particular 
put more value on the artists of these books than the writers. And that's not to diminish artists if that came across poorly, but in this specific moment in time, it was not necessarily artists using the form of comics to tell the best story possible. It was a lot more, I want to draw this cool thing, which is how we get some bad problems like Ninja Psylocke. <laughs> Um, well, and that, that really sums up the storytelling issues that this entire era of X-Men has where you have the artists in control and I, I think they're doing some pretty cool stuff visually, but it becomes difficult for the writers with the Marvel style of, you know, the plotting and the art being done by the artist to catch up with what the heck they're supposed to do with the scripts. Um, so it's a little messy. I've always been a fan of Portacio. Um, I remember being a kid and reading. There's a real random two issue thing he did called uh, Legion of the Night which was a, a weird kind of supernatural mini that he did. And I, I remember really enjoying that. Um, and then of course his X-Men stuff and introducing Bishop is, is really, I think pretty cool. This arc is um, just kind of a weird slapdash mixed. I don't even know what to call it. it it's a weird. It's thing. some weird comics. Um, That's yeah, about it, what yeah. it is. So what happens in this, the X-Men and Sunfire uh, find this, I guess, a, just a hole in the ground? Hole in the ground in the Yeah, ocean. there's a hole in the ground. So they're like, hey, Sunfire, shoot at it. <laughs> Let's go. Sunfire getting a <laughs> terrible Nothing will go nine, wrong. By the way, Sunfire just yeah. looking absolutely yeah. atrocious. Mm. In, I guess he's got like the, the techno-organic virus or something. Yes. He's covered in, or he's, or he's like a cyber eye. And, and John uh, Byrne makes fun of it, like... Say what you will about John Byrne. He's probably earned all the good and all the bad that you say. He does make fun of this pretty good <laughs> saying, this is stupid. This is a bad yeah. design. Which speaks yeah. to why he doesn't, you know, script every issue of this, I guess. Well, he was only there for like a hot minute, right? I mean, John Byrne does, uh, you know, less than a handful of these X-Men issues before saying, peace out. I'm, I'm done with this garbage. Yeah. Um, he didn't have the patience for it. So they, they, you know, shoot at the whole, these predator things kind of come out. Triumph and then, uh, yes. And then they get sucked into another world dimension place. Yep. The void portals and the void. Yes. This void. Um, they get all split up. They, uh, and they find Mikhail Rasputin. Yeah. And eventually yeah. everyone takes different sides in this weird civil war. And they all come together and then they all just everything works out at the end. And Mikhail comes back to regular 616 world. Yeah, that, that's about it. I mean, Colossus is hailed as, you know, like a second coming or something when he shows up, because I guess he kind of looks like Mikhail. Um, Gene is strangely flirting with Peter in this arc, which I don't quite understand. There's a couple of moments where she's calling him cute um, and. I can't tell if that's like a older sister squeezing a cheek kind of a thing or, or what they I were I gotta imagine for being a giant metal man, Colossus <laughs> is probably the most adorable X-Men. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's supposed to be the, the resident uh, cutie Russian hunk there. So uh, no, no, no harm there. Um, but the Mikhail thing, like I still, 
it's a sort of a baffling choice. It could be a really cool moment that could introduce a really awesome character, but it's very unclear what Mikhail's power set is um, or even how his powers factor into the way this story resolves. And he sure uses energy somehow, I, which was the yeah. 90s like cover all. You have energy redirection, right. which okay. is Bishop, right? Sure. Isn't that just it, Bishop's power? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so, it is. Hmm. Yeah, it's a head scratcher there. Um, I do love the moment where <laughs> Colossus is explaining to Mikhail what's going on with Ileana or or not explaining it. That's that's a great panel. That is good. That's that's a good joke. Yeah. But like it's it's weird. And I think we run into this in definitely the next story and some of the elements in the other story that we cover. But all that really happens here is team goes to a different planet. Team gets split up. Team has like two scenes each. Team comes back together. Team leaves planet. That's it. Yeah. And that's a time honored x-men tradition but you know if you're going to do it at least make when they split up and to have many adventures fun i mean i feel like asgard wars is the gold standard of that in a lot of ways like yes but asgard wars is good right like these little side adventures that they go on and we could talk about this again in the next story because it's similar like almost identical setup um plot wise it's just you know it's there and it I don't know if it has any real meaning or depth or uh, or arc to get the characters from point A to point B. It's just hole in the ground, blow it up, cool stuff, and then we meet the brother and we get out. Um, yeah. I'm glad it's only three issues. Yeah, that's that's to its benefit because mm-hmm. you take a story like this and you stretch it out between like eight issues, it's going to get real long real quick and get real, real boring. Uh, I like the art yeah. in this. I think Will Sportacio's a very dynamic artist. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a reason why he's, you know, among all the image guys. But again, there's also a reason why he's not one of the like top, top image guys. He's not Todd. He's not Jim Lee. It's it's interesting. I think a story like this is probably more remembered because it came out at the, you know, the cultural zeitgeist that was X-Men comics mm-hmm. versus any particular quality. It's that, you know, you had this because they were selling uncanny in adjectiveless in 1992, just like hotcakes. Right. Yeah. The X-Men were really exciting at this point. And um, you can't discredit uh, Portacio um, for, you know, well, I, I'm going to create a giant double negative if I don't correct myself here. But his style is extremely exciting. Um, it, it's very like everybody's screaming. Everybody's emotions seem to be dialed up to 11 on every page. Um, he uses a lot of uh, Lifefield does this, too, with the um, panels that kind of look like they're sharpied in really roughly or you mm-hmm. know they're, they're popping off the page. Uh, he uses negative space in really cool ways. So I, I really like Portacio's work. Um, but, you know, it's not always the clearest visually in terms of how to um, tell a, a succinct story. Yeah, I uh, I definitely agree with that. So with yeah. all of that being said. Where where are you thinking about this story? Now, well, yeah, go ahead. 
I was going to say, the story that runs pretty much parallel with this in adjectiveless at the time is X-Men slash Ghost Rider Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. And I like that story a good chunk better. Well, that, yeah, I, I think that has a little bit more staying power. Um, I actually just found those Ghost Rider issues in a, in a long box uh, and, and bought them over, over the last week because after we talked about them, I was like, you know what? I, I like this story. It's really silly, but it's similar um, in that, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of depth. It leans heavily on its visual uh, makeup. And beyond that, are we going to revisit it? I, I don't know. So, I think that might be a good place to look on the list. Yeah, I think it's below there. I I think I probably like it better than like an Extreme X-Men expose, which is an interesting premise with kind of boring execution. Yeah, I think that I like this better than Extreme X-Men expose. Um, I don't know that it has as much good character. I still think even though, you know, we weren't super hot on Storm Volume 3, number nine, which is like life death number three. I still think that had some more character moments in it that, um, you know, were good. But I also like Portacio's art. So um, I don't know. I think I would put it somewhere in, in between there. Yeah, what I'd say is probably let's go right above Storm and right below X-Men number one because here's the thing. I just reread that X-Men number one, but with the the, uh, Ed Piscor recolor from X-Men Grand Design. Oh, I haven't gotten mine yet. It's it's coming in the mail. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm not buying the Treasury Edition, not yet. Oh, okay. But they were putting out the entire thing digitally for 99 cents. And I had the floppies about all the other ones. And when I when I buy this, because I will buy the collect edition, but I am going to be patient and wait for the entirety of Grand Design to be out because you know yeah. they're going to put out a killer collection for that. But I wanted to see his recolor and that was worth 99 cents yeah, yeah. to me. Cool. Very much. I'll have to check was. that out. Yeah, so this will be our new number 94, Uncanny X-Men 284 to 286 into the void. And our next story is like a carbon copy. I mean, vice versa, because, you know, the one we're going to talk about next came before this, but it's the exact same setup. It's the Um, exact same. uh, Yeah, yeah. It's Judgment War, recovering Judgment War from X Factor, which was yeah, X Factor's forty three through fifty, except for that forty seven was a fill in, so we're not going to mm-hmm. count that. Yeah, and props to whatever I, I forget who's editing that issue, but uh, when they like call out the artists for, and and the writers for being late on their deadlines, I guess um, at, on the beginning of forty seven, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we talk about the story, can I just say I'm surprised that Judgment War is not on Marvel Unlimited? I find that so strange. Um, yeah, it's X a Factor weird is gap. strangely incomplete. Like Uncanny has its complete run from one to the 500 and whatever, and X Factor still has these holes in it. It surprises me. X Factor is missing a bunch. X Force is missing a ton. Generation X is missing a ton. New Mutants, I think, is almost a hundred percent complete at this point i think they may be missing two or three issues around like the gossamer arc but no one needs to read those yeah there was a push i think uh 
you know, with the idea that the movie was going to be coming out, which God knows if it ever will. Uh, and, you know, God willing, it will, because I would love to see it. But it looks very uh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, for nothing else other than just to see what what uh, Boone had intended for that. But uh, I think they were trying to, you know, get those issues on there so that they're if somebody wanted to do a run uh, through those, they could. But X Factor does seem to be like woefully neglected in uh, in the unlimited back issues. I don't know why. It's odd. It is odd. So this isn't on there. Go to your local comic book store. This is a late 80s, early 90s Marvel comic. So mm-hmm. you with an X in the title, so you can find that in every long box. Yep, that's how that's how I have this. Well, and um, it, when we talked about doing the McHale story, this was the immediate thing that I think we both thought of because it's we just said what the premise was. You know, our heroes go to an alternate dimension or another planet. They are divvied up. They each have their own individual adventures, and then it gets resolved you know and everybody gets to go home and it will I never do be think, brought up again <laughs> yeah i i thought what was what's interesting about judgment war is that it was supposed to be the culmination of um ships storyline which i think is an interesting premise in and of itself that you know this um animate object that they live in has its own backstory <laughs> arc that we need to explore um the yeah, thing that, I associate. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that always felt unnecessary. Like, I don't know how much Wheezy thought that Ship was a character, but I thought Ship was just the robot voice that they had in their house. Like, that seemed like <laughs> enough of a trope that it didn't require explaining. I I'm always fascinated that Ship has such like a rich history um, in X continuity. Oh yeah. Um, especially as it pertains to cable. Um, How ship raised ship cable is, for a while. Yeah. Like ship is a, a legitimately interesting character um, on her own. I always thought of her as a female. I, I, I don't know why um, if, if it's uh, gendered in any way. I always but, thought of ship as gen- gendered as female as it was the actual ship. But when it becomes Grey Malkin and, you know, like the professor and all that, then I had it as male. So I don't know. I don't think they put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, I don't know why I had these, you know, assumptions about it. It's a literally a celestial spaceship. But uh, I do think that the basic premise of this story of like following ship into space so that there can be a celestial stand down is, is a pretty cool premise. Um, what is not cool about judgment war is that it is ridiculously long. It's so long. Um, whereas the McHale story gets in and gets out in three issues. This is twice as long and it had a fill in issue in the middle of it. So we're talking a huge chunk of a year spent on this storyline where the, the X factor characters are interacting with, Okay, you know, there's some fun stuff to be had here. This is kind of like a good old fashioned Edgar Wright Burroughs, John Carter in of Mars kind of thing going on here. But I, I don't know. It, it doesn't stick with me particularly. You get super angsty Angel. You get an amnesiac Bobby. You get Gene and Cyclops not doing all that much. Like it's, it's a nothing story to me. Like when I read it for the first time. 
I was like, okay, I've I've heard people speak highly of this, so I want to want to get through it. And I kept trying and trying and said, this just for the people who like it, I'm really happy for you. This ain't for me. This is mm. this is not my story. Yeah, if you don't buy into the space adventure fun uh, that's that's happening in their individual stories, then you're not really going to be buying into this too much. Um, I think the draw here, I, I strongly associate this arc with another long Louis Simonson story uh, that was happening in New Mutants pretty much at the same time, I think, mm -hmm. which is the return to Asgard, which similarly is long. Um, and did a similar premise where, again, the New Mutants are divided and they had to come together and, and resolve their situation. Um, this, I don't know. I think the poll here might be that we get a return of Paul Smith. We do get Paul uh, Smith on all but issue 50, which Rich Buckler uh, jumps on for. Yeah, I think the unfortunate thing is that, um, you know, Paul Smith in, in his most classic form um, – really works really well with uh, Bob Wyacek, who is doing his inks. Um, unfortunately, Al Milgram is his inker here. And the the crispness that we are used to uh, from classic Paul Smith, classic X-Men, it, it's not quite the same, right? Yeah. You know, it's not original formula Paul Smith that we come to love and expect. Um, it's not a knock. The, the visual storytelling here is fantastic. I really like his celestial designs. I think it's cool. Uh, there's a lot of Kirby stuff going on there. Um, but, you know, it, it lacks something. It, it lacks a little bit of that precision that we may have seen before. Well, can I tell you one of the things that kind of I don't love about this is the design of the aliens and the world building and the whole culture. It's boring. Yeah. It's very... Yeah. It you when you say Edgar Rice Burroughs style, I agree with you to the point where it's like you didn't do anything more with it. You went with pulpy alien world and you left it at that. And it that doesn't necessarily make a memorable place. That doesn't make a locale that I would ever want to return to. So while while there's some good, good moments point. in it, it's just it's a very long kind of boring story that I wish was better. I agree 100%. Um, you know, there are some really weird things in here that I think are kind of quirky and fun, like um, Cyclops saying what a stupid way to die <laughs> as he's good. almost about to that's be stepped good. on by that's, Celestial. That's a, that's a good line um, right there. There's like this ridiculous giant elephant trunk dude. I think his name is Vlon who just like sits on their hideout mm -hmm. um, and looks down on people all the time. Uh, I love that the conclusion of this story, the way that they decide to defeat the celestial is, you know, it's the old gladiatorial combat thing with the celestial thumbs up or thumbs down. So they just blow up his hand, <laughs> which it's kind of brilliant in a way I, i've heard um, a saying if it's stupid but it works it ain't stupid and that, that about something up. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not stupid it's just it's not the way that you would expect a half year of comics to end is oh let's blow up that robot's hand and we'll be good to go that would be an excellent resolution um, for like a half comics worth of comic like got yeah it. I, I, I also feel bad for um I also feel bad for Apocalypse because he has to have this like very, very stupid 
um, introduction to acts of vengeance in the background that does it does not fit his character at all and you can tell that it was just like hey guys we're gonna have this really cool themed crossover so you gotta have apocalypse talk to this random b-list villain did he he okay he didn't do anything in acts of vengeance in a different book did he uh, from my recollection, he he was observing things. Okay. I don't know that he actually like was a, a main antagonist. Because the but, only uh, X-Men antagonist I, I can think of is Magneto in that very, very good Captain America book. Like, have you read that? Yep. The X-Avengers yep. Captain America? Yeah, where, he, good. where he captures Red yeah. Skull and traps him in a bottomless, you know, hole in a empty room and just says, you're going to die here, you Nazi scum. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's not this story, but it's better than No, it. there's a couple of good acts of vengeance things. Uh, I don't remember any good ones with Apocalypse, but I mean, maybe it deserves there, some digging. There probably are um, I don't know. I don't know. So it doesn't seem like we love this so much. Um, where would you rank it? I'd rather read No More Humans. I'd rather. Okay. Oof. Okay. But right under No More Humans is that uh, Mojo issue, the Jim mm. Lee Mojo story. Yeah, which I think I like more. I mean, I know that that doesn't have a lot of substance, but I'm I'm a long shot fan. And, um, you know, I at least appreciate that era's take on Dazzler and Longshot, where I know I'm not going to go back and really dig into Judgment War. It's just, it's too much of a volume for me to, to really dig back into and enjoy. So looking, um, looking at this, a couple below it is at number 81 is Spider-Man team up number one, which is another story that uh, I will never read again. I yeah. will never even touch so, that. But I'm assuming that you may just for chuckles, revisit uh, the ultimate X-Men sinister arc uh, with the classic stairs. Moment. I think I've read that like <laughs> two or three times in the last three or four years. So, okay. So that's probably where we should yeah. be at 81. Yeah, This will be our new number 81 X factor judgment war. Nice. And now we have one last story on our list. And this is the most recent story we've done. This is a story that's come out since the start of the podcast. Yeah, this is brand spanking new. It just wrapped up recently. Is the trade out for this? I don't think so. Um, X-Men Gold Volume 4. It's Negative Zone War. Yes. If anyone was curious at this point. Yeah, the trade is out. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. And I would say I liked this. I would say check it out. Um, what was your yeah. general take? So here's the thing. This is written by Mark Guggenheim and it has four different artists over these. So we're covering on this issue 12, which is mm-hmm. kind of a prelude to this. And I believe it's collected in the trade. Uh, it, if not, it's part of the same story. So mm-hmm. we're counting it. Uh, and then 16 through 20, it has yeah. four artists on this. Luke Ross, Lon Medina, Ken Lashley and Diego Bernard. All of whom I like. Like those are four artists that I do like, especially Ken Lashley. His stuff over the last couple of years has been mwah, love it. Yeah, there's a consistency to the art, even though they are, you know, different artists. There seems to be a, a general style that they're they're sticking to for these issues that ties the whole thing together. Yeah, in Mark Guggenheim, he is a controversial figure in the world of pop culture. 
for X-Men, he's written several stories that I do not like before this. Uh, he wrote a Wolverine story where Wolverine comes back from a drop of blood without any crystal powers. He wrote a Wolverine story where Wolverine fights the angel of death every time he dies to uh, regenerate. Hmm. Uh, he wrote Young X-Men, which is not my fave. And he wrote a uh, an arc on adjectiveless X-Men, the uh, all-ladies version of it. That, again, wasn't my fave. How you like an X-Men Gold in general? Uh, since so it's here's launched. the thing. Here's the thing. I was pretty lukewarm. I liked the first issue a ton. Uh-huh. And then someone had to go and be very, very anti-Semitic and hateful in that issue and yeah. kind of soil that one for me. So yeah. thank you, Adrian Seoff. Mm. But the rest of that arc and the two arcs that followed it, just they didn't hit me. It didn't really click for me. Mm-hmm. But I I appreciated the pacing. This is a biweekly book. And with Negative Zone War, things started to turn around, especially this 16 through 20. I liked this chunk of the book. And the most recent arc, I've really enjoyed. Like the last issue that just came out was number 25. Mm-hmm. And that issue is lit. That issue is kind of a follow-up to Negative Zone War, but it's kind of great. Also, Storm gets her freaking hammer from Asgard War back. <laughs> comes a Thor. That sounds and awesome. Have you not read that? Did I spoil that for you? Oh, that's okay. I'm I'm not caught up on gold or blue. I'm behind on both. So I'm really glad that we're covering this because it gave me a chance to catch up at least to you know the end of this arc. And then I'll, I'll yeah, keep going uh, from there. Yeah, spoilers for gold. You're going to like that development. Yeah, I have a feeling I am. It sounds good. I will say that, um, you know, I remember not loving the gold launch and loving the blue launch. But I, you know, blue has kind of fallen off for me a little bit. And I remember really liking this 12th issue of X-Men Gold that starts this um, Kolagoth arc. Um, It was a standalone issue where we just got to focus in on this random character who appeared in the first arc um, working with the the team of villains that the X-Men fight. And it turns out that he has this like incredibly deep backstory that then gets explored in this negative zone war, um, which is, a, I, I appreciate that Guggenheim's playing some, some long game here um, with his ex. I X-Men. love his plotting of this. Yeah, the yeah. way he is seeding these stories, it is Claremontian. It is very different than writing for the trade that I think we get used to so much where you have a discrete five or six issues and these are one chunk of story. And it makes this list very easy when we have here's here's your chunk of story here and here's your story here and here's your story here. With gold, this negative zone war arc has been seeded since issue one and Mm -hmm. its implications are still being felt in issue 25. Like not even the not even the big ending of this arc, just characters and plot points for this are still coming back, you know, a few months later. So as you look at this, this is the overall story that I think Mark Guggenheim has been wanting to tell. It's the you know plot that kind of got in his head and said this would be a cool X-Men thing to do. Yeah, so um, Kolagoth has this ultimate goal of ending his home planet's civil war by awakening 
this uh, sort of demon god, if you will. Um, yeah, Scythion? What is it? Scythion, I think? Uh, sure. Uh, it's a made up word. We don't have to be we'll right. go with that. Um, and, you know, he's rescued from the Jean Grey school by his colleagues and one person who I guess is his lover. Um, yeah. And then. And then uh, Kitty and Nightcrawler are taken prisoner. So it's up to a pretty interesting X-Men team. That's not the original X-Men gold lineup um, to go and save them, um, which I kind of appreciate the shift in the lineup too. Yeah. It, Cause it feels organic now, even though I don't like ink Guggenheim's mm. been using him and it's okay. his baby. So that's fine that he's using him. I mean, ink's not, overtly offensive i just rather see someone there than him uh we got armor who's been in this the entire time yeah like, as a supporting character mm-hmm. and we got we got storm old man logan and colossus rounding out the team and it's that's a fun team it is a fun team i i agree with the the maybe reservations about ink um he feels a little like a Swiss Army Deus Ex Machina here. Um, he did because... get the Phoenix tattoo removed. I did notice <laughs> that he somehow got that gotten rid of. So good on him you know, on that. Depowered. There's a lot, a lot of scenes where they're 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 like, can Ink do it? He can do it. Get him to do it, and he does it. And it's like, okay, <laughs> all right. Let's we'll pick through the toolbox and see what he can he can accomplish. But um, I think this is fun. Um, yeah. I, I'm not. I do wish there was more to like Holagoth's ultimate goal in this story than just destroy everything with giant statue God. Um, but that being said, I still enjoyed reading this. I thought it was fun. It, yeah, that part's interesting. Like the, the disappointment I guess I have with Kolagoth as a character is that he was set up to be pretty, pretty interesting. Like 12 is a good standalone issue. Oh, it's that- great that says hey this is a guy this is his deal and you know he's gonna screw up the x-men's day coming real soon yeah so you got all that tension and you still get him as like because that issue and because the bi-weekly schedule of this book allowed it to take a you know take that kind of detour which i think is interesting you get Mm -hmm. kolagoth in just a few issues built up as he could be a big friggin deal for the x-men and then mm-hmm. his final goal is, hey, uh, screw you, entire planet that in the negative zone that I was going to take over as a civil war. I'm just going to destroy all you because you think I'm ugly. Yeah, I wish there was more to it to that, because I feel like the character had a little bit more substance mm-hmm. um, than just being sort of this nihilistic, destructive force. Um, and he's taken out towards the end of this as well, which you're right. Like he was set up as sort of a big bad to this book that you assumed, okay, maybe this guy's a new X-Men villain that we're going to be seeing for eons to come. And, and that may be the case, you know, no one ever really dies in these things, but um, it does seem like a little bit of a letdown. Um, what was your take on, because uh, I think the the ongoing subplot of this arc is the evolution of Kitty and Peter recognizing that they're madly in love with each other. What what was your take on that? We're going to get into that. Okay. (laughs) I was avoiding it. it. Do you not buy it? Because I don't know if I'm buying it. Here's my, here's my thing. We've got a wedding coming up very soon. 
uh, with these characters who get engaged in the very last page of this arc, uh, Kitty Pride and Colossus. They have a good history of relationships. I know we talked about it when we did the Prude saga that regardless of the skeeviness that happened in the 80s with that, which I think was more unintentional, oh, wait, we don't realize what we did until it's too late from the writer's point than it was anything creepy. Uh, Because, you know, Colossus was always portrayed as the youngest X-Men besides Kitty. So, like, I buy that. And I bought the relationship there. And I buy it in Astonishing X-Men when Joss Whedon writes them as a very good, very believable couple reconciling. What I don't get is everything in between that so i actually just finished reading excalibur like the the late stuff of excalibur and while i don't buy kitty pride's relationship with pete wisdom all that much because pete wisdom shouldn't be dating young girls uh which is a common problem with kitty pride i uh i buy something that writer ben rab did at the end where Kitty and Colossus have a very frank conversation about their relationship where Colossus being the eager little puppy says, you know, we can do whatever we want with this. If we want to stay single and, you know, just stay friends, we can stay friends. If we want to be more, we can be more. And Kitty shuts that down right there and says, look, man, I like you, but we can't just dwell in the past. We can't just go back to this because it's comfortable. And I loved that. And I felt that when you know, because astonishing, it's pretty much a discreet thing where Colossus is gone at the beginning and Kitty's gone at the end. And when Kitty does come back later in X Men, their relationship never feels the same again, and they know that, and they break up pretty pretty quickly afterwards. And I bought and believed all of that. And while I do believe that they could come back and start to form a relationship again in X Men Gold, I don't think that them getting married is earned and that's a rant i i i'm right there with you no but i i'm glad that you brought all of that history into it because um you know it's it's a fast thing and i know this is a bi-weekly book but you know we've we go from sort of like oh well i'm not sure what to do about this situation to let's go hook up in a hotel room to will you marry me and yeah a series of, of a dozen issues. And, um, that seems okay. You know, I, I understand that maybe this is just where Guggenheim wants to take the story. And I, I certainly don't have any, uh, huge issue with his decisions as a writer, but I, I would like to see maybe Kitty, especially, and you know, I'm not even going to get into why I think that, you know, Peter could have, better or more interesting relationships with other X characters. Um, but, uh, cough, cough, domino. Um, but, uh, but, but that serves as a good example of what we're missing out on. It doesn't have to be domino, but like, why aren't these care? And I, you know, kudos to, um, Bendis for at least trying like, Hey, let's, let's get Kitty with star Lord. You know, let's just, let's try that out you know yeah, let's do something uh, that hasn't been done already right um i don't 
I'm right there with you on your conclusion about this. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Maybe yeah. it'll be interesting. I mean, they keep throwing out the idea that this is going to be this conflict-filled uh, event, but I'm sure that they will end up married at the end of it. I, I am too. And it's it's frustrating because like I think where they're at at the beginning of this arc in 16, that's a believable spot for exes who have a very tumulus past. Like, mm-hmm. okay, they hooked up after they after Kitty went through a pretty emotionally – you know, just every time, like an intense time. And she went to a source of comfort. I buy that. That I believe. Yeah. It's that so quickly after they would get married and get engaged. Mm. Like that, that doesn't jive. But that's where wow. we're at. We feel strongly about this. I think we've talked just as oh. much about that subplot as we did about the actual action and events. But I think there's a lot of fun stuff here. Um Quick question, and maybe this is be, me being nitpicky, but is this a planet in the negative zone? Yeah, That's I don't something know I how the negative zone works. About that. Uh, like, I, I thought it was just the, the one zone place. As, okay. Yeah, I always thought of negative zone as Annihilus. And, yeah, it's just um, his backyard. <laughs> right. And the Fantastic Four always have to make sure you can't get into the negative zone. So I was curious, like, is this planet in? I don't know. I just that they was unclear. A, to me. They do make a point uh, when they get the ship from uh, Blue Marvel, which was a fun cameo yeah. there. Like, I like seeing those C-list Marvel characters get to appear like, hey, you should just know who this is. If not, he's science man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's fun. You know, he does say, oh, yeah, I, this is I got this from some of Reed's stuff. Don't worry about it. This is going to science you into the negative zone. I love it. Well, th- that's always a good storytelling solution. You yeah. Know, it's a, we found this. <laughs> it's a Fantastic Four garbage. Uh, well, the Fantastic Four have done pretty much everything. Yeah, exactly. We should rank this. Uh, yeah. Um, where are we going? It seems like we enjoy it. Um, I like how... it. I don't love it. Yeah, I'm the same way. In same fact, way. I like I like the arc that comes after this in gold better. Like the current arc in gold, I've really enjoyed more. So, okay, I don't yeah. I don't know where to throw this exactly. I think it's the best that we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. I think it's better than the first arc of Exiles. Yes, and probably like I don't know. What are you thinking? I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty coherent thing uh, that I I like. I think that I'm maybe a little hesitant to put it above Phalanx Covenant Generation Next. Yeah, I think Um, Gen Next is probably better. That might be a ceiling for me because at least that is, you know, um, planting the seeds for Gen X. And I think that has some pretty cool stuff going on. I think this is better than that individual Excalibur drinking story. We we ranked at 61, which is Excalibur 91. Where they all go to the bar. That's exactly where I was looking. Because I think this tells a better story than Uncanny X-Men 15 INH because that's just Mm – that might be the most uneven comic book I've ever read. Uh, <laughs> and while I think I like that Excalibur drinking issue a bit more than you, I this is this is fun. X Men Gold is popcorn comics. It's not. Mm-hmm. This isn't Sandman. This isn't going to be you know the next Watchmen or anything like that. But it's fun. 
Like, if yeah. you just, yeah, I've read a lot of garbage comics recently. Like, honestly, I've read an unhealthy amount of mid '90s X Men comics over the last few weeks. I'd rather read this than most of those. So that's gotta that's gotta mean something. And those are <laughs> those are popcorn garbage comics too. So. And those it's, last for a long time. Oh you know, my that's gosh. that's years and years. Do you of know stuff how long X Factor just spins its wheels doing nothing? I'll tell you wow. how long. It's yeah. forty nine issues. It's the moment Jamie Madrox dies, they decide we're just gonna do nothing for a while. Yeah. It's got an X on the cover oh. and it's making some money, so we'll we'll keep publishing it. Yep. All right, so we're saying this is our new 61? This is our new 61, and we have 93 stories on our list Ooh. now. We are getting close to it's... the fabled number 100, which cool. I announced this on Twitter, so I'm going to announce it here. We didn't plan it, but number 100 is going to be the Draco, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't like the Draco. It's Spoiler, <laughs> it's going to go low. Hey. You know, we got to have a special event, so we might as well have another, uh, you know, trash talk session at some point here. No, nah, it'll be um, good. But this was a good episode. Yeah. I think I think it was yeah. fun. Yeah, these are these are some interesting things. Check them out. Uh, some are better than others, and uh, you know, try and stay on your planet, folks. Try and stay on your planet in your dimension. <laughs> uh, oh, one thing, the negative zone war brings this up, and I forgot to mention it because we got distracted by my feelings on the certain relationship. Uh, there's a distinct line in there where uh, either Storm or Old Man Logan says to the other, we can't just trust the first side we meet in a civil war on an oh. alien planet, <laughs> which felt like some very specific shade to every other story on this list where they do that. Yep. Yeah. I liked that. That was a nice little touch. It was like, you're not wrong. No, because then they get betrayed. They immediately <laughs> so get betrayed. It's great. Good instincts. Good instincts. Oh, yeah. So, Battle of the Atom, this episode was brought to you by Patreon supporter Mojo's Work. And he's doing Mojo's Work by going over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and tossing in a couple of bucks every month to keep the entire Xavier Files media empire up and running. If you would like to support the show at the $2 level, We'll make an episode all about a story you want. It's pretty cool. It's pretty easy. We like it. It's fun. So go do that if you want. If you can't support it, I get it. You can't do everything. There's only so much money in the world. It's one of the biggest problems in the universe. Uh, but if you can't, then maybe leave us a rating or a review. We haven't had any of those in a little bit, and it's always nice. It helps us get notarized on the iTunes charts and help more people find this weird niche program that has a ceiling on its audience for sure. Uh, <laughs> if you liked everything you heard, you can go over to XavierFiles.com. That is the uh, headquarters website that has the weekly articles on different X-Men things that I write every Thursday, has all the episodes posted here. It's got some fun stuff. Uh, there is also the Xavier Files zine that you can find there that Adam did a killer cover for, and so many people contributed so much to it. Uh, it is available for free on there for a digital copy. Right now, I've turned off the option for physical copies because I have run out. Oh, wow. Yep. Don't have any don't have any left, and I will reprint if there is some demand for it, but right now, just do not have a single one. 
I did the count <laughs> and I said, oh, I have orders for all but one. And I would also like a copy of this thing that got a lot of work put into it. <laughs> so you I, give I, yourself a I reserved one for me because if I didn't get my own zine, I would be very cross. Uh, oh, man. That's so funny. we've got that going. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, before I say where people can find me, um, Mojo's work actually has an Etsy store and uh, he makes some pretty cool X stuff. Like he has these really cool one inch pins and magnets and things like that. So uh, if you're looking for some quirky X art uh, or like he does these like Muppet paintings and things like that, just just go check it out. It's pretty neat stuff. Um, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy, and I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes coming out every Monday at adamrec.tumblr.com. Yeah, it's fun. Bishes and Jubes is getting buck wild, guys. <laughs> it is. It's going to get keep keep getting crazier. Yeah, that's keep great. Reading. Well, that covers everything we are covering on this episode. Next episode, we will be talking about something else related to X-Men. I think Fall of the Mutants. Is that right? I believe so. I believe all of the mutants will fall down in the next episode. Good. I definitely closed out that tab already. So I'm just <laughs> wildly guessing. But until then, <laughs> this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. <laughs>